Welcome to the Young Central Podcast, your hub for human rights, mental health, and social justice. I'm your host, Serene Banna, and you can join us in our discussions every Wednesday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Young Central Podcast. Today's episode is dedicated to the victims of the atrocious hate crime that occurred in Buffalo over the weekend. Um, I'm sure you've seen coverage of it. If you have not, I'm going to go just over the basic details and then we'll start the discussion about where this hate has stemmed from, what this white supremacist, this terrorist manifesto was, um, and why he's not mentally ill. So, on Saturday, May 14th, 2022, um, there was a grocery store shooting in Buffalo that killed 10. I'm not going to name the shooter because I don't think he deserves that kind of coverage, but he was an 18-year-old white supremacist and terrorist. He shot 13 people, including the security guard at the grocery store. 11 of the 13 were black. He pleaded not guilty, although he was heavily armed with tactical gear. He live-streamed the entire attack, and he shot several victims in the parking lot before entering the grocery store. He also had posted a 180-page screed online Um, on Discord and on Google Drive, which elaborated on his white supremacy ideology and various other radical ideologies. He referred to himself as a fascist, a white supremacist, an anti-Semite, and he referenced greatly uh, Brenton Tarrant, who is the gunman in New Zealand who killed 51 Muslims in two mosques. He also referenced Dylan Roof, who was the white supremacist who killed nine worshippers at a black church in 2015. There are two main points that he discussed in his screed um, that I think are very worth mentioning. The first is the Great Replacement Theory, and the second one is ecofascism. Both of them are linked, but they both were in, in, inspirational to him. I don't even want to say inspirational because that just, it's, it's so wrong. Um, but those, those two ideas are the most prominent ideas in the 180 pages that he posted. I'm not going to reference those pages um, in the show notes. I'm not going to provide that as a resource. I don't think anyone needs to read that. I sure did not. Um, There's no reason to read such hate and anger and incompetence. I think we could do much more important things with our day than give this boy attention. So, We'll start with the Great Replacement Theory um, and what it is. 
It's a grasp at this concept of reverse racism. It's a belief that's held by many white supremacists. And it basically states that immigration policies that are put in place to help migrants are part of this master plot to undermine the political power of white people in the West. Again, it's a conspiracy theory um, because the amount of dedication and organization would, would be incredible to pull something like this off. There are three prominent iterations of the theory, um, and, and they're described by the National Immigration Forum, and I'll actually link their document because I think it's very educational um, on this topic, and it's also a great resource to have. Um, the rhetoric of invasion is the first. It uses martial and violent uh, rhetoric to basically explain how the migrant invasion, quote-unquote invasion, uh, needs to be stopped before immigrants and refugees conquer white America. I don't know how that would be possible, but let's move on to the second one. Um, The second one is the voter replacement iteration, and (laughs) this one is even worse than the first. So this one has multiple levels of racism embedded in it, um, as well as prejudice. It circles around this idea that migrants will vote a certain way. Uh, White supremacists call this the left way. They assume all migrants and refugees and asylum seekers and such are going to vote with the left. So their conspiracy is that migrants and pro-immigration policies that are being used to give power to migrants who come here and permission for them to migrate, immigrate, and seek refuge and seek asylum, um, they're being used to take away from the political influence of white Americans. The same white Americans um, who are practicing voter suppression in the south in the south and southern states those same americans are now claiming well not the same i can't make such a general statement but such white americans are now claiming that immigrants and refugees and migrants are plotting to reduce their political power Okay, the last iteration um, of this racist theory is anti-Semitism. We all know what anti-Semitism is. We've been fighting it long before World War II. And for some reason, we just can't win. It, It follows the notion that Jewish elites are responsible for this replacement plot against legacy Americans. By the way, they refer to themselves as legacy Americans um, because they're Americans who hold some sort of legacy in their humble opinion. Um, The Great Replacement Theory, it originated in France. So that, that was first seen in France in 1973 in a novel called The Camp of Saints, The Camp of the Saints, um, and it's written by Jean Raspail. 
it it started to stem in the U.S. in the 2010s. And we saw it for the first time having bubbled up and boiled over um, in 2017 during the Unite the Right rally, which happened in Charlottesville. Um, at that rally, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but white supremacists were chanting, you will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. And I don't know who thought that was a good idea. I mean, <laughs> it's one thing to talk about this. It really is one thing for, for me to sit and talk about this and explain it. But having to do it with a straight face or or pretending like I am not bothered or affected by it. Um, one prominent American who has held and shared these racist conspiracies and has planted this ideology in the minds of his followers and his audience is the one and only Tucker Carlson. No, Tucker Carlson is um, wrong for so, so many things he says. So many things he says. And he can hide behind the First Amendment and he can say it's his freedom of speech. He can have that. Have that freedom of speech. But I hope that this incident has taught him that the words and the hate that you spew to your followers and to your listeners has an influence. He first mentioned the Great Replacement Theory on his show, um, Tucker Carlson Tonight, which airs on Fox, Fox News. He first uh, mentioned it on April 8th in 2021. Um, and then he mentioned it again in September on the 22nd. And after the second episode in September, he garnered much more support um, from people, specifically representatives and Republican governors. Um Republican Representative Brian Babin, who is from Texas, he endorsed this theory and he stated, um, I'll quote him because I don't want to put words in his mouth. They want to change America. They want to replace the American electorate with third world immigrants that are coming in illegally. Representative Matt Gates, who I mentioned in the last episode on abortion rights, tweeted, at Tucker Carlson is correct about replacement theory as he explains what is happening to America. Since the shooting, um, not surprisingly, Tucker Carlson has tried to separate himself from this conversation and tried to deter blame from falling onto him. He referred to um, the white supremacist gunman as mentally ill. No surprise there. Every white shooter is, is mentally ill in the hands of the right. Um, he also stated that the 180 pages that were produced and shared online don't add up to a manifesto. So now he's 
undermining something that he influenced. Um, he is also being criticized openly. I mean, that's not not surprisingly, again, not surprisingly, he's being torn apart on social media, um, in the papers. Much of the discussion about the shooting has been linked back to him. And rightfully so. Right? Because when you're a prominent figure for the right, as Tucker Carlson is, with millions of followers and a show on Fox News and a large audience, and you push such ludicrous conspiracies like the Great Replacement Theory, and you profit off the episodes, and you incite violence, and you start to change the minds of your audience, you plant that seed in there, a seed of hate, you better own up to the words you say on television. Going back on the words that you say now, the hateful, racist, ugly rhetoric that you've used on your show and on your platforms, going back on that now, it's not a smart PR move, it's cowardly. If Tucker Carlson is so afraid of being labeled as a white supremacist and he's so afraid to to be held accountable and, and held to blame for such an atrocity, then he should think twice before going on, on air live with such racist and dangerous ideologies. And if he doesn't want to do that, he wants to hide behind his First Amendment right to free speech, and he wants to protect himself by saying he has the right to say what he wants, that's fine. But in that case, you own up to the consequences of your actions and your words. He was directly referenced in the 180 pages as being motivational to the shooter. He was referenced as being motivational to the ideology, the blood of those victims, it's on Tucker Carlson's hands, it's on Matt Gaetz's hands, it's on Charlie Kirk's hands, and it's on Representative Brian Babin's hands, and it's also on Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's hands. Any person who has pushed such an agenda and has made an impression on such a delusional mind. He's not delusional, by the way. He's just racist. They're held accountable because guess what? That delusion, had you not spewed it and had you not talked about it and discussed it and pushed it, would not have reached him. They incited this violence. You don't get to spew violence and mania and push these ideologies and then claim you had no part to play. You are elected officials. You are public figures. You're commentators. You're political activists. Do better. And the thing is, I don't know if anyone has seen Tucker Carlson's episode where he tried to separate himself talking about the shooting. The look of fear on his face is not is not a look of fear because people are going to label him as a white supremacist 
it's a look of fear because he knows very well that if this is not mitigated by his PR team, his entire career is over. It's less of accountability for his words and more so damage control for his career. Now, moving on, um, the screed that was published, as I said, it mentioned two main parts. The second part was about climate change, (laughs) but even that part was twisted into a a, a racist ideology, a white supremacist ideology. Um, he mentioned the idea of ecofascism, and what ecofascism is is basically it's a scapegoat. Um, it scapegoats immigrants and minorities for issues impacting the environment. Um, these issues can be like air pollution, plastic waste, climate change. It's greatly related to the racist replacement theory that we just mentioned. They're both tied uh, together. But in in the demented screed that he published, he states, For too long, we have allowed the left to co-opt the environmentalists and their movement to serve their own needs. The left has controlled all discussion regarding environmental preservation whilst simultaneously presiding over the continued destruction of the natural environment itself through mass immigration and uncontrolled urbanization. Pause. The left has controlled all discussion regarding environmental preservation. I wonder why that is. Maybe it's because the right... has denied climate change is real? <laughs> I don't know how else to word that. The, the left has been the discussion. I'm stuttering here. This is, this is too much. They're, they're serving their own needs as in what? How are they serving by saving the planet? by pushing for a climate change agenda. And I know this, so many people come at me with, oh, you know, you sound like you're a Democrat and you sound like you're left-leaning. Um, When you're talking about human rights and social justice, often what happens is those ideas overlap with a lot of democratic policies. However, that does not mean that I'm like a Democrat for life or like I identify as a Democrat, just as a side note. Um, because I don't. I I will criticize the Democrats as much as I criticize Republicans. And I criticize the far left just as much as I criticize the far right. However, for some reason, the far right has been slipping up a lot recently. <laughs> and most of the episodes have been about how much the far right is screwing things up in America. And this is exactly what I'm referring to. It's a delusional statement. Of course, the left is controlling the discussion regarding environmental preservation. The right won't even acknowledge that climate change is real. Brenton Tarrant, who I mentioned earlier from New Zealand, um, he also identifies himself as an eco-fascist. They've coined that term for themselves. Um, 
And Tucker Carlson, although he's never explicitly stated that he's an eco-fascist, he's used a lot of the record uh, rhetoric, sorry, that's shared by eco-fascists. Um, Representative Bruce Westerman, he's a Republican delegate of Arkansas. He also uses that rhetoric. He actually warned of an environmental crisis at the southern border that would be caused by undocumented immigrants from Mexico. Again, you know, this conspiracy that immigration, um, immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers are being planted in order to remove power from, quote, legacy Americans, end quote, is, it's so directly tied to the replacement theory conspiracy, um, because it, it's just, they go hand in hand. You can't really explain ecofascism without, you know, explaining the replacement theory. Um, conspiracy, I should say, instead of theory. But I hope that that kind of gives you an insight into more details about what happened. I know it's it's had full coverage and and people are outraged and people are heartbroken And people have every single right to be. Seeing words like this, seeing this language, it's so heartbreaking to me. It is so, it's, I can't put into words how sad and how enraging it is to to constantly see gun violence, specifically gun violence that's linked to white supremacy. We've, we saw what Dylan Roof did. We've seen what these white supremacists have continued to do. And every single time, they're labeled as mentally ill. And every single time, justice is not served. And when black Americans rise up and protest for their rights, for their rights to safety and bodily autonomy, for their rights for social security and political freedom, they're labeled. They're labeled as a terrorist organization. They're labeled as part of Antifa. They're labeled as people who incite violence. We saw that. We There's no reason for me to have to pull up the receipts for you to all see it. We, we saw it. We saw it after George Floyd. We saw it during the Black Lives Matter protests. We saw it after Sandra Bland. We saw it after Ahmaud Aubrey, and everyone comes back with racism does not exist, right? People are not racist. This is not an issue. You're making an issue out of nothing. This whole gaslighting situation to undermine what black Americans are facing. Ten innocent people 
They're human beings were killed. For the color of their skin. And and reading this reading this screed that this I don't want to call him a lunatic because then you're gonna think I'm referring to him as mentally ill. This terrorist. And seeing the rhetoric specifically against immigrants and refugees and, and people who come here with nothing. I worked with refugees for two years at UC Irvine Health on a research project. I worked primarily with refugee women across all of California. Um, they had recently arrived. And you know what their priority was? Their priority was to survive. It was to build a life for their families, for their kids. It was an opportunity. It is an opportunity for them to start over and have a chance at a normal life. They're not moving here to take your political power away. They're not moving here to kill the environment. They're moving here because they deserve the right to have that freedom of living, of having a life that's meaningful, away from violence and disaster and whatever circumstances they may be facing. These people who are spewing this ignorance, they are so detached from reality, they're so detached from the struggles of non-white individuals, the struggles of people who lost everything and came here to start over. I'm an immigrant, for the record. I am an immigrant. I moved here when I was five, yes. But I am an immigrant. And let me tell you, Tucker Carlson, I could not give a single shit less about your political rights. I don't care enough to take them away from you. I have more important things to do. Before um, before we wrap this episode up, I'm going to take a few moments to speak of um, and remember the victims of this brutal hate crime. They were killed for simply existing. And I think we owe them that much to remember them as human beings and not victims of such an atrocity. Pearl Young was a 77-year-old black woman. She spent her Saturdays volunteering at a food pantry run by her church. She was a mother to three children. She was a grandmother to eight. And according to the Washington Post, she loved children so much that even at the age of 77, she was still working as a substitute teacher. Her son shared that her favorite soap opera to watch was The Young and the Restless. Ruth Whitfield was an 86-year-old black woman. She was the mother of retired Buffalo Fire Commissioner 
Garnell Whitfield. She spent the day taking care of her husband of 68 years at the nursing home he lived at, and that was her daily routine. She went to take care of him often. On the way home, she stopped by at the grocery store. Andre McNeil, a black man, was at Topps Grocery Store to pick up birthday cake for his son. The 53-year-old father and grandfather was referenced by his cousin to be a selfless and generous person, although he had faced much adversity in his lifetime. Catherine Massey was a 72-year-old black woman and an active member of her community. She dressed up in costume at the local public school. She assisted in the elections. And she often wrote for the Buffalo Challenger, um, which was the local newspaper. She wrote many pieces about gun control and gun violence. Celestine Cheney was a 65-year-old. And like most of the victims, her crime was being a black woman. She was a survivor. She battled brain aneurysms for years. And the survival rate for her was not promising but she survived until the age of 65. She also survived breast cancer and chemotherapy. Her son called her a beautiful person and a spunky, independent woman. Margus Morrison was a father. He was a husband. And he was a school bus aide. The 52-year-old black male was described by his brother as a joy to be around. And his family would like him to be remembered for the good energy and the positive impact he had on his community. Hayward Patterson was a 67-year-old black man who went by the nickname Boy Teeny. No one could remember where he got the nickname from, but it stuck for so long that that's just what he goes by. He often drove members of his church to Top's grocery store, and he helped them with groceries and drove them back home. He just loved to do it. He was a devoted dad, he loved to sing and he brought joy to his community. Roberta Drury was an African-American woman adopted at 18 months old into a suburban white family. Her sister said that the 32-year-old was no stranger to racism. She moved from Syracuse to Buffalo in 2010 after her brother was diagnosed with leukemia 
she moved in with him to help with his kids while he fought. Geraldine Talley was an avid baker and she was referred to as the sweetest. She was a 62-year-old black woman who was at the supermarket with her fiancé running Saturday errands. They split up to find different items while shopping when the shooting started. Aaron Satter Jr. was a 55-year-old black male and the security guard on duty during the shooting. Buffalo Police Commissioner Joseph Garamagalia described him as a hero. He was retired from Buffalo PD, um, and he tried taking down the gunman. In his LinkedIn profile, I thought this was so wholesome, he describes himself as a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none. Although, prior to his death, he was working on a project to build cars with engines that ran on clean energy. He also has a YouTube page um, where he explains it all. My deepest condolences goes out to everyone who is mourning and is, who is dealing with this tragedy and this loss. I will link resources in the show notes for anyone who needs them. Remember that although we live in a country where the color of your skin seems to be determining so much fate, that is a small population of America that holds those beliefs in a population that is so insignificant. Their actions are hateful and spiteful. And their actions are significant. Be sure to follow Young Central on Instagram, TikTok, and on Facebook at Young Central Network. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.